It's June 1st, 2020. This is Rook. When you think of the contemporary stars of Persian music, you don't usually think of distorted rock guitars and crashing drums. But there are those who are breaking the mold of what is defined as the Iranian sound. And our guest today is at the forefront of Persian rock. He's a songwriter, a passionate performer, and one of the leading lights of those speaking out for what they believe in the Iranian diaspora. He's from Tehran, but he now makes the UK his home. Ali Azimi joins me from London for our feature interview today. These are stories from to and about the Iranian diaspora. I'm Gian Gomeshi. This is Rook. Welcome to episode number 14 of Rook. How are you? Chitori. Certainly a, a lot of dark and difficult energy going on in the world right now. I hope you're all staying mizun amidst uh, the ongoing global pandemic, the global protests, the global economic panic, and a general sense of foreboding that comes with injustice and despair. Uh, of course, it, it, it's become all too apparent in the first few weeks of this program uh, that one underlying commonality to the experiences of people of Iranian descent is a familiarity, for better or for worse, with crisis and challenges, if not atrocities. So some of all this does not feel entirely new, but here's hoping that uh, things are okay for you. Um, how are you today, Shayajan? I'm great. Thank you very much. How are you? You're great. Yeah, I'm fine. Yeah. Okay. Did you ride your bike here today? Yes, every day. Do you uh, mask me, Zari? When you're on the bike, are you wearing a mask? When when it's busy, yes, I use my mask. But usually, I'm alone on all the roads. And okay, yeah, that's a long way. You come here. That's I'm, I'm Two impressed. Hours, yeah. Two hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you're on the yeah, I don't even know how it would work with a mask. I mean, I guess you, if you're biking with your mask. Uh, then you uh, does the is the breathing constricted somehow? I find it hard. Uh, I've tried jogging with my mask. It's hard. It's hard. It's yeah. hard. And, and I'm an asthmatic, so I, I actually want all I'm doing while I'm running when I have my mask on is wanting to take the mask off. Mm. That's my entire running experience. I'm not enjoying running anymore. <laughs> I've just like got this mask it's on. It's not healthy, I, I think, to jo- uh, ride or with ma- mask right. because yeah, I think it's not healthy. Wow. Well, well, way to go to yeah. riding your bike. Uh, we are getting some great comments about uh, uh, this interview on the last episode with uh, environmentalist and um, 
former deputy vice president of Iran for that quick spate, that harrowing year he had, Kaveh Madani. Uh, keep them coming at info at rookmedia.com. We're going to do our letters on Thursday, uh, feedback on that interview. Uh, you can also find us uh, on our social media sites, YouTube. Uh, we're at Instagram at Rook Media, Facebook at Rook Media. Um, we also have a few more submissions for our Play the Rook theme song challenge. Um, yes. One from a prominent classical musician that I, I, I shared with you on the weekend when that came yes, in. Yes, I love this. It's very yeah. cool. It's very <laughs> yeah. cool. I want to play that on Thursday. Uh, new versions of our Rook theme. Again, if you're a musician out there, an artist out there, and you want to do your rendition on um, whatever your instrument is or genre it is, info at rookmedia.com. Uh, today's guest is uh, someone I'm a big fan of, and, and you are too, right, Shia? Yes, he's a friend of mine, and I'm also his fan, one of his yeah. fans. Yeah. You guys played together? Not yet, but uh, I it's hope imminent. we are going it's to. It's going to happen, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, think he's, uh, I think he's fabulous. Um, so without further ado, take a listen to this. of the song Prelude or Pishtaromat from the debut Ali Azimi album from 2013, Mr. Mean. That song catapulted Ali into the consciousness of Iranians, both inside Iran and across the diaspora. Ali Azimi is a singer, a songwriter, a lyricist, and a performer who was born in Tehran and has become one of the leading lights in Iranian alternative music and Persian rock, if you will. His poignant and powerful lyrics, his visceral performance style, his engaging melodies have won him a massive following around the world. And his latest song is a sublime duet just released with Golshifte Farhani. Right now, Ali Azimi joins me from London, England. Hello, Ali. Hi, Zianza. So very nice to have you on this show. Thank you for doing this. My pleasure. Happy to be joining your program. You know, let me just start with what we just heard there. What what goes through your mind, Ali, when you hear that song, uh, Prelude, Pishtaramad, right now? It was such a pivotal song for you. Do, you. do you love it? Are you sick of it? Do you never want to hear it again? What are your feelings about it? <laughs> so it's basically, uh, like, like you say, it's like a love and hate relationship between me and this song. Because obviously... Uh, uh, after I, I mean, uh, right after I started my solo career, I um, released it. My first album had this single in it, which went viral, uh, which which became much more popular than I ever expect, expected, and kind of grew bigger than my name. I mean, in, in the first uh, uh, months and years of my uh, solo career. So, if you like, I kind of it's, it's a love and hate relationship. Because of that, because I mean, it made me very famous. It made me like um, it, was, it was a big hit, and um, and also at the same time, it became so uh, 
famous and popular than over. I, I thought you know, people were always asking for me to play that song over and over in the concerts, and and you can imagine it becomes a bit annoying after a while. Right. Because right. you, you keep writing, you keep writing new songs, and people are like saying, "Oh, can you play that? Play that?" Play? And, and, and like, okay, come it, on, you, it, you've come to my concert, <laughs> listen to what I have to say. So yeah, no, I'm, I'm I'm kidding, but yeah. It becomes a question of where you put it in the set list too. Do you get it over with, or do you have to? <laughs> keep it to you know, the band Nirvana famously refused to play. They had a, a huge hit with "Smells Like Teen Spirit," and they refused to play that live. And some people thought that was just obstinance. Like, why? You know, come on, guys, give the give the fans something they want. But you understand that a, a band can become so sick of if if people are coming to your concert just for Peach Dada Mad, you no one would blame you if you sort of go, oh, do I have to play that every night? And, uh, and I guess you put it at the end, usually? Yeah, that's, that's right. I mean, well, once or twice we started with Fish Time, I just to get rid of it um, uh, in the set. But, you know, most of the time we keep it at the very end or one or two songs before the very end. I mean, that. this said, we, we joke about it. it. It's a tremendous song, and the video is iconic in our diaspora, so riveting, rivetingly beautiful, fusing all these snippets and moments from Iranian cinema. Uh, five million views now on YouTube alone. What, what's the story behind how it came together? So, uh, if you want to give you a short version of the story, we're sitting in a in a restaurant with my friend Arash, who's a, who's a film director. Previously, I had played the, the demo of the song and he loved it. So we were just sitting and I said, what if Arash, we uh, basically say what we want to say in the language of Iranian, the history of Iranian films? And because this guy is like a Iranian cinema guru, Arash. He knows everything about it. He's done so much research and study on it. And he's like a walking encyclopedia of Iranian Films and uh, he he got, kind of grabbed the idea and and basically took it to where it uh, the, the end product that you saw and he's he's just a genius in my opinion he he knew, knew every scene of every movie I mean we had selections of maybe ten or fifteen of every um, part of this music video that we had to choose from so uh, yeah it was a big task it took us around six months to uh, put it together we were. Uh, collecting the high quality of these movies and uh, also um, sitting like for in like various days of a week during this kind of couple of months to be able to put it together. So we kind of engineered engineered it really. Yeah, it took took us a lo- long time to put it together. It's an amazing uh, piece of art. And it also becomes this treasury of Iranian film in five minutes as well. Um, but musically, you know, it's also yeah. oh, there's a, it's treasure. It's a treasure, I think, because I have to say, when I first caught wind of this song a few years ago, um, and I didn't know much about you, I was so excited because I had heard so little Persian alternative music or rock before. Pop, yes. Traditional, mm-hmm. yes. Mm-hmm. Even mystical or fusion or hip hop, but Persian rock, mm-hmm. not so much. Do do you still feel like an outlier existing in this genre as an Iranian musician? Well, uh, I mean, I started way back. I started like when I was a teenager writing songs. So, and I, I never liked, I mean, to, I'm probably not, not a very wise thing to say, but I never really kind of uh, related to much of the Iranian pop music scene. And um, I wanted to create a sound of my own. I, I didn't have anything to listen to that I liked. Well, there, there are likes, there, there are likes of, uh, and, you know, the, uh, art, the previous generation artists like Farhad, 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 Far
I, I, they inspired me a lot. But there wasn't much more for me to get inspired. So I, so I had to create my own path, create my own uh, music, basically, to uh, uh, raise my own flag, really, <laughs> in this genre. I want, I'm going to come back to that because I want to hear yeah. about your story uh, growing up in Iran and your musical influences. Let me just start with where you are right now because um, sure. you're our first guest actually who's currently in the city of my birth, uh, in London, England. And it's no secret that the UK yeah. is, has been hit particularly hard by COVID-19. What, what's your impression? What can you tell us about being on the ground there right now and the current situation in London, Ali? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I, I think I, I had it for, I, I, uh, I got the uh, corona. And I was down for two weeks at the very beginning in, in the uh, oh my God. late fe- February, I got it. Wow. And uh, so I suffered from it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I wasn't hospitalized, I have to say. I stay, stayed at home. So I had all the symptoms and the fever and the, and the, and the um, body aches and Shortness of breath, loss of smell and taste. Yeah, it was, it was terrible. I was because at the time I didn't know if I if I was if it was going to be um, one of the serious one or a mild one. I was scared, so it, it, emotionally I was under a lot of pressure. Uh, yeah, you, emotionally you were under a lot of pressure because you you were scared. And well, I, it was a, it was a difficult time for me, anyways, emotionally, but. This happened, and I was like, I wasn't sure if I want to survive or not because yeah, at the time it was so unknown as well. And we, we we would hear stories about people dying from it and having to be taken to hospitals and use ventilators and all that. So I didn't know what to expect, you know. <laughs> so yeah, I, I didn't tell my mom for the first couple of days because I, she's like basically she's uh, in her seventies, and I didn't want to uh, upset her yeah, and. Yeah. Uh, make her nervous and all, all that. And I didn't want to see her because I, I was fe- fearful that I might give it to her. And, and um, she has underlying health conditions. So, um, yeah, it was, it was difficult, but I'm, I'm over it now. Your mom is in London as well? Yeah, my family is in, in London. Part of my family is in London, and, uh, and my other brother is in uh, Los Angeles. So... If I get this straight, in February, as as COVID nineteen is hitting hard, beginning to move westward uh, and into places like uh, Europe uh, before it even hits North America, you get infected with COVID nineteen. Um, and at the same time, mm-hmm. I guess you're starting to realize at that point. Um, now we're three months into this, but at that point, that your um, this is going to have an effect on your work life too. Tell me about what that's been like. Oh yeah, I've been hit hard by it actually. I was planning for 2020 to be one of my uh, biggest years in terms of having concerts and all that. And we, so far we have canceled 10 concerts. Uh, and, and I think another 10 were in, in the pipeline to be uh, booked and um, announced. But the, I mean, we can't even think about it in 2020 now. So yeah, it, I was hit hard and I was, I mean, at, in early days I was really disappointed and hurt and like, like because you know the money, the majority of money that we make as musicians come from concerts. Yes. So not ideal. Not ideal. Not no. ideal. Clearly, it's a weird thing no. though. No. You 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 want to walk the line between 
you know, Brian Adams, the famous uh, Canadian singer uh, um, who was mm-hmm. about to do a bunch of gigs in London, tweeted something. I mean, forget about whether the, what he tweeted was coarse or not. Um, th- just the fact that he was kind of bemoaning that he couldn't play shows uh, drew a lot of, drew the yeah. ire of a lot of people. It was because like, oh, poor little rich boy, you can't play shows. Some people can't eat right now, you know? <laughs> so how, how do exactly. you... How do you feel about the? Uh, uh, I mean, you're you know you you might have a different career from Brian Adams, of course, but uh, but uh, <laughs> it, it, it's tough to sort of feel sorry for yourself at the same time as you know that so many people are suffering. I guess exactly. So, but um, when I get kind of nervous or sad about this issue affecting me, I think okay, let's be you know clear. People are dying from it. People are suffering around the world from it in much more severe ways than I can even imagine. So, so I just say, okay, fine, I'll take, my, take it on the chin. There's not, nothing I can do. And, you know, try to find alter, alternatives to uh, make use of our time, you know. I mean, tr- I'm, I'm tr- starting to think about writing my, uh, completing my new album, hopefully in t- 2020. We're, and, you know, just make myself useful, really. Are you someone in general who worries about money about making uh, a decent career well for one thing about money is i would like to reach to a point that i don't have to be thinking about the end of the month issue mm. you know and soon as that is is out of the uh, equation hopefully one day i'll be able to be lucky enough to do that then that, that's my goal in, in terms of the first goal i have regarding money is just not to think about it actually um and be able to just freely concentrate on uh, more uh, um, creative side of my side of my life, and uh, you know, that's that's that is that is something that I'm, I'm hoping to achieve with money. You know, there's yeah. probably people uh, listening who are fans of yours who, for whom it would come as a surprise that you have to worry about money. When I was talking to Hamed Nikpay on the show, he was saying there's such a disconnect bef- between his actual financial situation, which he described as zero, and um, and the way he's perceived as this you know rock star or mm-hmm. this person who's who's um, doing so well in the, the the Persian diaspora landscape of arts and culture. Do you find the same mm-hmm. disconnect? So that's very true. Hamid is also a friend of mine, and uh, I, I, I kind of uh, I, I, I agree with, with what he says, and I believe it, what he says because that that is, in fact, sadly, the case for many of us. I mean, it's it's not about having a big name in the market or perceived as being successful. Um, it's the, the reality of Iranian music scene outside Iran is is something else because it's it's, it's not a huge market. You can imagine because it's, because they have to only rely on certain amount of Iranians in diaspora. But obviously, we don't have any access to our main fan base in the country, in, in, in our homeland, and uh, we can't have any expectations from our fans to pay us because there's no means of doing that. Especially in, in my genre, I was going to say music, Iranian yeah. Iranian rock music, which is pretty niche. If you if, I mean, if you th- think about it. 20 years ago, we couldn't even imagine going to a rock, Iranian rock concert. But, but these days, I mean, the concerts are more often happening and, and, and there, is, there is a bit of a market. I mean, last year I, I was kind of able to live off my concerts for the first time after 10 years of hard work. But, you know, so it's, it's a battle. But, you know, for, for what we gain for it, I mean, for, for, for what I gain for it, from it, um, 
I think it's, it's worth it because I, I get so much love and so much energy for my audiences and that, that is so um, rewarding, you know. So I, I can't really, I know it's not enough. I know it's, it's difficult, but I don't want to really complain right now because I just got out of Corona. <laughs> I have to be more positive. It's, I'm, it's a- <laughs> I'm still alive. <laughs> Damn it, Karen. It's clear that if you if you wanted to get into this for material reasons, you would probably not have gone into alternative rock as a genre. You might have tried to sound sure. more like Andy or something. But uh, <laughs> and, and, and this is an interesting. Poor Andy. <laughs> poor Andy. This is well. I mean, he's got the star on the Walk of Fame. He's not poor Andy. Yeah. But uh, exactly. Uh, I, I, I want to um, get. Actually, it. I, tw- I tweeted. I tweeted one saying. What happened to Kurosawa's star in the uh, in Hollywood? I mean, it was a, a joke, but it was fun. Anyway, so, so, so tell me about yeah. this then. How this? How you ended up taking this path? I, I want to get to how you ended up in London. But the story with you is that you were born and raised in Tehran. You start playing music and studying classical guitar, in fact, at an early age. But then you end up gravitating towards Western rock. So, I mean, how did that even happen? You, you know, I've heard that your influences were Leonard Cohen and the Beatles. How do you discover Leonard Cohen and the Beatles? I don't want to be naive. I, I know that there were, you know, people were hearing things in Iran, but but realistically, mm-hmm. how you end up in that path in the '80s and '90s Iran uh, and get exposed to those sounds and why they had more of an impact on you than say Persian pop stars of the 1970s? How did that happen? It's a very interesting question, actually, uh, Jean. I was a strange child. I had a I had a strange childhood. Like I mean. When we were growing up in Iran after the time of revolution and and, and during the war, I don't know. I, I never personally related to happy happy stuff, you know. I, I, even as a younger younger uh, guy, um, I was always relating to more kind of grown up music. I mean, I was always always relating to my my bigger brother's music or my, you know, the the the, uh, the old uh, the grown ups. And uh, there were certain people that I really liked in my in my family, in, my, in, in the, you know the friends of family and all that. And uh, they had this some, one or two people had this special relationship with me as a child. They gave me some some good good stuff to listen to. Like a, a, a friend of our family gave me a, a cassette of Cohen's, uh, I mean best songs or well favorite. I mean Leonard Cohen, um, yeah, greatest hits or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that that was one. Big influence on me from the beginning, and and uh, and Cat Stevens was another another big uh, influence of mine at the time when I was uh, just like ten or eleven. And then I, I as I grew more uh, uh, older, I I moved into uh, the, the world of Beatles, the likes of uh, Pink Floyd. Pink Floyd consumed me for many years, uh, but it was a unlikely music to listen to at that age, I suppose. So I I actually never I never I never I was never kind of gravitated towards Iranian pop music. I never kind of had any interest in it from naturally from the very beginning. Right. Um, I was disconnected completely from pop music. And I had like one or, one or two or three uh, heroes in the whole kind of music scene. You know, there is a whole strand of, I, this is the kind of question I would ask a rock musicologist, but I might as well ask you because you're as good as any uh, on, mm-hmm. on the Persian rock scene to, to answer this. There's, there's one thing I've noticed with my friends and cousins and, you know, people coming from Iran uh, uh, at some point in their lives, as opposed to me who grew up entirely outside of Iran, uh, is, is an interest 
among some parts of the especially younger population um, with it, with atmospheric rock with stuff like Pink Floyd. Pink Floyd seems to have really cut yeah. through in Iran. What is what is it about Pink yeah. Floyd and that kind of rock that worked for Iranians? Do you think? I couldn't tell you the reason. I'm sure you've seen the the movie uh, Searching for Sugarman. Sure. Yeah. The, uh, the the documentary. Um, I mean, I'm sure Pink Floyd are big, are huge uh, worldwide and, and globally. But in Iran, they're especially they had they had such a big fan base. Uh, when, when I was growing up, that if they ever had a concert in Iran, it would have been a massive concert. Uh, I don't know why. I don't, I don't know the, the, the answer to that question, but I think certain type of music, certain type, type of uh, novels, they came to Iran and they became hits. They became really popular. Like certain, certain uh, authors, writers are much more famous than many others just randomly, you know, because mm-hmm. somebody brought something to Iran and it got uh, uh, translated or whatever. I think the music worked the same way. Maybe... Lots of people that who were who were kind of go, going back and forth from Iran and and, and the Western world brought some some kind of music that became very popular amongst amongst the Iranians. So Ali Azimi ends up pursuing engineering, <laughs> and in fact, that's what brings you to yeah. London. Did you? I mean, be rock here. Did you love engineering? Were you or were you satisfying your parents with that career move, or <laughs> or did you just believe that music would never be a career for you? Actually, I like the rock questions better. Um, <laughs> well, um, as a teenager, I, growing up in a family of engineers, <laughs> my both brothers and my father, I mean, my family basically, like most of Iranian parents, they presented me with a couple of options, right? Uh, like being a doctor was one of my mom's favorite, for example, <laughs> uh, an engineer was kind of a, kind of something that was running in the, in the, in the family. And the other option was to become a lawyer, which I really didn't right. have any interest in. I, that's, I that's, like a, that's a downgrade. That's a downgrade. So. That's, just, that's below doctor or engineer, but still acceptable. <laughs> <laughs> in Iran, yes. It's, I, mean, I mean, for non-Iranian listeners in this program, I mean, they should know that Iran is a very strange society. I mean, the parents are typically very um, value um, education a lot, but only towards certain... Right. Certain, you know, <laughs> not not necessarily fine arts education. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So you so you end up being family pressured, peer pressured, and and having some interest in engineering. Yeah. I mean, I was I was want to. I really don't want to blame my family as much, which I, which I really should. But um, this was a theme in Iran, basically. And if you if you want wanted to be regarded as successful. This this would want, be one of your only paths to, to right. pursue, you know, to, to become one of these things. And I thought to myself, you know, I don't like this one at all. This one is even uh, uh, less favorable. So I went to engineering as one of the options that was, okay, interesting, because I loved physics. People in physics were, were my rock stars at the time. Hmm. So I, I studied mechanical engineering uh, in the University of Tehran. But, you know, I was just kind of a good Boys, study, I mean, this kind of positive boy at 16 or 17, I mean, always getting good grades. And I went to the University of Tehran, which is my, one, of my, um, one of the things that I, I identify myself with because I, I, I'm very proud of um, having part of the experience that I had in the University right. of Tehran. Uh, but I have to say, maybe it wasn't the best choice that I, that I had to make in life to become an engineer at the time. Because I went inside and I wasn't crazy about it. And... Um, the more I realized that this engineering thing is not about only physics, 
geophysics and all that. And I was like, I was uh, forced to study lots of other things about uh, engineering and I grew less and less interested, right? But I kept the faith. So I finished it and um, so became an engineer. I even wor- started working in Tehran uh, in, a, in, a, in a big firm called Nargon, which was a, a gas and oil uh, consultancy. And uh, then after a while, I, I decided to, to leave the, the country. And the only um, means that for me to just to, to leave Iran and, and continue living in, in, uh, in London was to do, the, do like a master's. When I came to London, uh, I was 26. So that's what, that was the whole story. You know, there's so many um, parents or people like right now in the Iranian diaspora listening to this going, یعنی تحصیل کرده همش خراب کرده رفت با این بازی کردن یعنی تو بی آنست بودی مای مام و مای فامیلی بود کنید در 2009 که در این سال 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 که در این Uh, but I was growing less and less interested, to be honest, in, in my lifestyle. I didn't like to be a, a feel. No, I, what I really hated at the time was uh, being an employee, mm. to be honest. I didn't want to do what people told me to do. So I grew less and less interested. And one day I said, you know, that's it. I just want to make it, uh, take a big, big leap and, you know, pursue my dream. And uh, you that's know, what I did. The thing is, is that I, I, I sort of... I'm being facetious when we joke about Iranians becoming engineers and doctors, or at least half facetious. We obviously great yeah. big respect for those who do it and and do it well. My dad was an engineer. I, I uh, most of my family are engineers like yours, so I res- and yeah. I respect yeah. them profoundly. The part that's difficult for me. Um, as an Iranian and as somebody who uh, of Iranian background and, and as somebody who thinks about young people in Iran or in the diaspora who may have an interest, who really may have a passion for going into something like music is that it's not just the streaming of of us, especially those of a certain class to go into doctor or engineering or lawyer, et cetera. It's, it's creating the conditions where you don't think that music is really an option for you, for example, or certain kinds yeah. of art, unless you're of a certain stripe. And I wonder if that was true for you. For example, I've heard that you said you don't really think of yourself as a singer. And, you know, I think if you were growing up in the West, you know, with examples like Bob Dylan, uh, uh, you may, you know, you may think you can sing, you know, that's not a, uh, but yeah, I guess yeah. if you're comparing yourself to a certain kind of Persian singer, you're not a singer. Was that part of it for you? Well, if I understand the question right, um, I classify myself as someone who's just trying to tell a story or create a project and express my feelings that's that's really the way i see myself i don't even want to say i'm an artist i mean or like like the coincidence on his last album i was walking i was always walking steady but never called it art you know that's it's like it's not an art in my in my eyes it's something that i'm trying to learn i mean step by step album by album because i came from engineering i didn't i wasn't um i never studied that to, to become a musician so I had to learn my way around, uh, out, and you know, to put my bricks on each other But nor did Paul McCartney. I mean, you, you, what would it take yeah. for you to 
call yourself an Pink, artist. Pink Floyd also, yeah. Would you have to go to... Well... <laughs> you're an artist, surely. I mean, how... This is very interesting to me. Yeah. Because it's a it's some kind of form of... Um, uh, I, I mean, it's modesty, but also... Uh, I'm, I'm actually genuinely curious. What would it take, do you think, for, for you to, to be able to say, to own that and say, no, I'm an artist. I may not be, I may not sing like uh, Julio Iglesias, you know, but I'm, but uh, I'm, no. uh, I'm, I'm, a, I build these creative uh, things. I did. I, I, I worked really hard for my career and I, I made a lot of sacrifices, genuinely. Um, and I think I kind of, deserve what, what they, the position I have right now, maybe even more. Um, I, don't, I don't want to get into that. But uh, calling myself anything, I, that, what, I, what I was trying to say when I said that was, I don't really classify myself or I categorize see. myself in any genres. You know, that, I don't really care about what I, I'm going to be called at the end. Am, am I going to be called an artist, a musician, a rock star, whatever. I'm just trying to do what, something that I love to do, and I'm, I'm learning... I mean, with each album, with each, with each song, I'm learning something new. So, Ali... I, I know this, this sound, might sound cheesy, but... It's, it's no, really no, it's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, so, so let's pick up the story here. So you do the Masters, you, you start feeling somewhat disillusioned or unhappy with the career in engineering. In 2009, interesting timing, you go back to Iran and you're with this band, you form this band, Radio Tehran, and you put out an album that that comes out at the same time as, as the big protests are happening, the Green Movement, as, as we've come to know it across Iran. Uh, uh -huh. You eventually return to London. Some of your bandmates get in prison during that time. It, it sounds like a, a turbulent and troubling story of crushed hope around that band. What can you tell us about that time? Oh, my God. That was a strange time. That was a strange time, and I remember it. It was so weird. It was sad. It was tense, and also very beautiful time for me. I, as soon as I gave up my job as an engineer, I, I went to Iran uh, with hopes to uh, convince my, my old friends to form a band. So I had a couple of songs and lyrics. I, I, took, I mean, I went there and we sat and we, I, were kind of, I said my dreams. Uh, I mean, I, I explained my dreams for them and they were on board and they, they had their own dreams, obviously. So we got together. It was amazing times. We had we were, we were four friends from, uh, I mean, for many years, and we were always jamming back back when I was in in Iran. Mm. Uh, so this opportunity came, and we grabbed it. And uh, for uh, three or four months in Tehran, we were just playing and playing and recording our ideas and putting it together. We worked with a, a famous Shahram Sharbov. I don't know if you know Shahram Sharbov. The, uh, the the founder of um, the band. Um, I'm sorry, for, <laughs> I just blanked out for a second. Shia, do you? Um, know? Shia might know. Shia should know that. Oham, Oham. No, Oham. There you okay, go. Okay, thanks, Shia. Thank <laughs> so, Shar yeah, Sharbov uh, from Oham. Uh, he did the uh, production of the album, which was a, a great privilege for us to have him, because uh, he was he was an amazing artist himself. And um, so we were, we were just, uh, you know, we were virgins in this, in this path. And uh, so he helped us a lot. He, he was playing the keyboard as, as well as uh, producing the album. So uh, we put the songs one by one. By one and, it, and so we were just imagining Tehran just before the, uh, the famous election. 
that got uh, basically <laughs> nullified. Uh, you know what happened? Yes. And uh, so basically, we, we were hoping that you know we were thinking at the time that okay, this new savvy guy is going to win it, obviously. And imagine we are just a new alternative rock band forming right now. We're going to have concerts. We're going to have. I mean, we are just dreaming about this, the scenarios that Iran is going to open up. We can do this and that. We're going to have concerts throughout Iran, and uh, you know. So we had so many dreams at the time, and you can imagine what happened when we at six o'clock in the morning, the four of us, we woke up just to check the uh, the results and uh, sat by the TV with our underwear and everything. It was like for a for five mi- minutes, we weren't talking to each other. No way. It was a huge kind of disappointment in the room. And uh, when, when we heard that our manager has, has won, and um, th- there was this sense of something, something's wrong. And, uh, you, know, you know, the rest is history. Um, there was yes. the uprising and the crazy times. And the, the, the things that I saw in Iran was just, uh, yeah, unimaginable. So what happens to the band then? Well, the band disbanded uh, because not because of what happened in Iran, not because of uh, the '88 uh, thing and uh, Green Movement. We just—I uh, mean, me and my uh, my fellow bandmate Pedram—we came out of Iran um, into London. He was doing a master's in, in music production, so I just went back to my life. And the other two remained in Iran, mm. right? And this distance. Was, was not helping us. You know, we never came back together as a band again after that, really. So I had to create another band in London with some other friends that I met here to continue the path and to be able to take it to the stage, something which I did. And uh, the guys in the room weren't happy about it, obviously. And so, so there were some personal uh, disagreements. And I, I decided to kind of, uh, after the first album uh, of Radio Tehran, I decided to follow my solo career. And I became Ali Azimi afterwards. You became Ali Azimi, and only three years after that, in 2013, you end up putting out your your first solo album, which makes huge strides for you. Let me just give people a taste of of the the title song from this record, uh, All High Past, uh, Mr. Mean. Take a listen to this. دنبال عشق میگرده توی ولیه اسمش آقای پسته یه مرد نمونه توی شهر ما مثلش فراوونه From 2013 and the album Mr. Mean that's the song Mr. Mean آقای پست uh, to Ali Azimi that album comes out it's your first solo record that also includes the huge hit Prelude which we played earlier and, and that song Mr. Mean also becomes a hit uh, video and wins the Fat Hang Foundation Prize for Best Short Film Ali how much did this record change your life and the direction of it? Oh I, w- I would be lying if I say it didn't I mean, it did change my life drastically and this song really kind of uh took me to another world, and this kind of album was so successful. I, I remember playing uh, 
this song in London for the very first time. So imagine the video came out 10 days before and we had this show in, in East London in a kind of a medium-sized club called Cargo. And we couldn't, I couldn't believe it that everybody in the room was singing the song which, was hmm. just, which just got released. And I couldn't believe that the song is so, going viral so fast. Um, so it, it did change my life. I mean, it helped me a lot to build my career and it gave, gave me a lot of positivity for people. I had a lot of, I mean, love from it. And, and uh, you know, so, uh, yeah, I mean, it was a great incident in my life. You know, as I was researching for this interview, that somebody called that song and your performance on it, uh, that, that makes you the Persian Bowie. Uh, David Bowie, which I thought was way over the line. Right. Don't compare anybody to Bowie, first of all. Uh, <laughs> yeah. How dare you I, compare I, I anybody to Bowie? How dare you? But, 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 it is a, yeah. but it's a tremendous compliment. Uh, uh, and uh, so, so obviously that I can tell that that record would mean a lot for you. And of course, we've, we've talked about uh, how much that the song uh, Prelude uh, became iconic as well. So three years later, in 2016, you put out your second album. Mm -hmm. And I, I specifically, Ali, I want to ask you about the song Zendegi, Life. Uh, first of all, mm -hmm. you, let me say this. You, you work with a number of legends from the arts and culture scene of the Iranian diaspora for this song and this video. And that, that's something mm -hmm. you've done mm -hmm. musically as well, whether it's Nam Ju or Erfan or Gol Shifteh. What, what do you get from these collaborations? I get a lot from it. I, uh, I learn a lot. And um, I, I like collaborations. And I, I'm, I'm actually planning to do a lot more if I if I can. Um, I mean, you get the beauty from one person that I mean, just, all, every artist that you work, the artist that you like, obviously the, the ones that you choose to work with, they have a side that you really like. So you uh, you use that side, you bring it into your work, and it kind of multi. Imagine for for example the song Fardos uh, Romanbia. Without Nam to that song, it wouldn't have been the thing that it became. You know, mm -hmm. became something greater. And um, so that's, you know, as a producer, I co-produce my own work as well. So as a producer, you're always thinking about creating the best scenario, best thing that you can have. And these collaborations, actually, I think they add value to, to my work. This song, Zendegi, uh, was dedicated to the great Iranian poet Hushang Eptihaj. Uh, but there was some controversy around it, Ali. What, what happened exactly? Oh, yes. I mean, basically, uh, when we released this song, we, it, became so, it became, again, a very popular and a very viral thing um, in the first one or two days. And then there was a huge uh, campaign of negativity, which was created. And it really hurt me and Arash, who was also, Arash from uh, the, the same guy from, who created Tishtarama. So what happened was, I worked with Arash as a producer, and he was the director, to create this music video for this song. Um, we are using the poetry of Rushangi Eftaj, which is a great uh, favorite piece of poetry for me, and it has really, really touched me deeply. Mm. Um, so we, we went and basically raised this idea to the people that we chose to pick for this project, and we wrote an email to everyone, and um, it is like a proper producer, you know, like you would. You know, you're, you're, you're a pro yourself, so you know what I mean. So we did all this, we, we kicked all the dots, basically. Um, we did everything that we could to do it properly, and we got the permissions and everything. So the, uh, the daughter of Mr. Um, Hushang Eftahaj 
um, she came after us with uh, with the allegation that, that I stole uh, this uh, poetry from his father, and I didn't have any uh, permission to do this. I didn't have permission to film this artist. So, and, and lots of things which were completely and utterly untrue, because mm. the other daughter of uh, Mr. Taj actually kindly arranged for us to meet and go to his home in uh, Cologne. Uh, we met them. Yeah, it was a beautiful day. It was a uh, day that I never forget uh, in my life. We, uh, we were we had the privilege to go and sit with Mr. Taj. And um, we um, had a chat with him, and I, and I raised my... I actually went there initially to get the permission. So I raised the uh, issue to him, and towards the end of our session, he asked me to sing it for him, which was, I mean, uh, it, it put a lot of pressure uh, on me in the room, and I uh, was just imagine singing for Eptaj. Uh, the great Eptaj, the, the figure that everybody loves and adores. Mm. And... Um, so I did. I, I sang it for him, and we we videoed it just for for ourselves and uh, with his permission. And we came back to London, and we created the video. We edited it, and we sent it again to everyone. And we got the okay from every single person, Mr. Taj, Mr. Ali Zadeh, um, Dr. Khoi, everybody. And um, so it came out, and this happened. So I, I, well, I was forced to release that private video that I created for Mr. Taj at the time. In front of the, the very song, which was I was, which I was accused of uh, stealing, it's amazing. What you know, what truly amazes me is the great ability of Iranian society to just turn against itself, hmm. to its its own people, its own artists. People. I mean, they, there's so much hatred. I realize so much disappointment. They just just want to take someone and just, you know, throw everything they had at them. But then we realize this is the name of the game. I mean, if you want to, if you, if you, if you're growing in something, if you're making a name for yourself, it will happen to you. I mean, one day, sooner or later, I mean, oh, it's, it's very unfortunate. You, you have this, you know, I'm not saying Iranians are the only community or, or the society who are like this. No, no, it's, it's definitely something global. But as you can see, they're really uh, fast to judge yeah. Iranians. What was the part that hurt the most? Was it that... Was it being accused of some kind of plagiarism, uh, or was it realizing? Yeah, it was a lie. It was a lie. Of we course, were, we, but we, were, we were so careful with every every process of this work. I'm an engineer. I take you know I, mm. I engineer everything. I, I take my work <laughs> seriously. And uh, and our and, and is a very dedicated, I mean, honest guy. And we, we did our best. And we, can't, we our only purpose was to pay our tribute to this great figure. And what happened was like a slap in the face. But, but you know, we took it on the chin. And time will tell. I mean, the time always uh, will settle things. And I think now there's only a song left that people love and listen, listen to. And um, all those allegations are like basically to resolve for so many. And so, so many are accusing me. Or I don't really care. I just do what I just, you know, I just go forward. Let's, do what I have to do. Let's give people a taste of this song. This is from 2016, Ali Azimi, Zendegi. شکسته زورقه به گل نشسته است زندگی نه 
You know, it's a, it's a it's a dark song, Ali. Uh, I mean, setting aside the poet, the the poem part of it, the lyrics are heavy. The sentiment is melancholy. Uh, I was looking at some of these passages. Uh, With thousands of years of rain, you still cannot defeat. We are all caught in this somber whirlwind together. It's it's hard to listen to that while watching some of these familiar Iranian faces in the video and not think that you are someone singing this about Iran, at least allegorically. What what can you tell us about the mood of this song? Definitely. I mean, that is definitely true, but I mean, your realization is, is completely um, uh, true. And, oh, and I, what I have to say is, what I wanted to do also, I mean, um, in addition to obviously paying the tribute to Mr. Taj, which I dearly love, uh, I wanted to kind of put a light on these artists that they kind of they're scattered around the world. Iranian artists who are, who are all amazing. I, 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 I love every single one of them. They, I mean, I've read their work. I've, I've listened to their music. Me and Arash, we were, we were, we were a bit selfish to, about making, I mean, in the process of making this music video, we, we chose our own heroes, basically. And these, these were the people that we could reach and the, the, the ones that they accepted to take part. But the message was greater, obviously. The message was to just say, to, to kind of relate this, the music video to the song, to the core of it, to, to just say, listen to the lyrics. Uh, the, at the end of it, it's, it kind of it has this message that's saying, you, you should, no matter what, no matter how hard life gets, you just have to continue. Hmm. Like the river. And, and it was about Iran also. I added to the, to the lyrics, I mean, to the middle part of the song is my own lyrics. Those were my kind of perception, today's perception of Mr. Taj, monumental poetry and i said that to him he, he asked he asked, in our meeting he said to me i mean i listened to the song and he went like um okay you know the middle bit whose whose poor person's poetry was that whose lyrics was that i said it was my own i, I wrote it he was like mm. did it have to be there i said well this is the i mean my translation my take of your your poetry and I, I decided that I want to change the mood in this part of the song and say what I had to say, my perception of this lyrics, and then continue and taking back to, to again to your to Mr. Taj uh, poetry at the end, which says John Chalk in Shakespeare. So I said that to him. He was like, hmm. he wasn't. He wasn't. I, I would I would say he wasn't pleased about it for sure. But I had to uh, put my foot down and say this is my decision for the song. Um, and he was saying, he was saying, basically, I'm not going to give you permission or not give you permission. You can do whatever you want. I was like, okay, thank you so much. And uh, we said, you know, we had this amazing evening with him wow. and his wife. And uh, did you want? Went, did you uh, want him? Uh, yeah. Did you want him to love the lyrics, though? Did you? Were you hoping that he would go? Oh my God, you, you nailed it. That's exactly. No, right. well, no, 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 no. He, one, one thing that he said to me because. I, I don't think I'm, I'm the greatest singer of all time. I, I don't have the greatest voice. And, but what he, he, what he did was he complimented me on my voice, which I mean, weirdly, I said, I like your voice. It has a very good tone. But, <laughs> you know, and the but was obviously about the, the part the, of the lyrics. And, and when I spoke to, to him about this um, poem, this, this poem called Zendigi, 
uh, uh, before we started, you know, to, to chat about the permission and everything, um, my, I think my take about the song, that, sorry, the, 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 the poetry was kind of not very far from his own. Uh, and that, that was really pleasing for me to see, to think that I understood it. The other thing that he was pleased about was the way I kind of used the music inside these words, you know, to put, to, uh, put music into it. He was also pleased with that, but, uh, which was also a great uh, compliment. Before that, I, when, when, I heard, when I read this uh, piece of poetry, which I, I only used, I mean, the, the first part and the last part of it, I didn't use the middle part of it because it was such a long kind of um, piece of poetry. I, for one month, I'm not exaggerating, 30 days, I kind of said goodbye to everything and I was working on this song and to, to try, trying to fit this lyrics into a song because I was absolutely blown away by the beauty of it. Mm. I, I'm still, I'm, I'm still, this, it's, a, it's like a, it's a monument for me. And, and, and uh, tell you another secret, um, in my new album, um, which is called Kahrawai Arizu, I'm using the middle part of this poetry in a song called Kahrawai Arizu. Hmm. Um, which is, uh, again, um, because this, this album of mine is about love. Yes. And, and the middle part of that poetry is also about love. The first and last part is about Zendegi, about life. And the middle, middle, the middle part is actually talks to love, as if, as if love is a character. So it's, it's beautiful. It's, it's fantastic. And yeah. <laughs> Let me. I'm going to get to the new, the, the newer records. I, I, let me just stick on this for a second, um, Ali Azimi. Mm-hmm. You don't shy from political lyrics or maybe provocative lyrics in your songs. And I, I want to share a story with you from just just yesterday. Um, somebody called okay. me. It's a young. He's a young hip hop artist who, uh, I guess, he knew somebody that knows me, and so that person had contacted me, and uh, and he said, um, hey, Jean, I, I just wanted to ask you your thoughts on, you know, where where what do you think of uh, some like if I write political lyrics or something uh, quite strong? Um, he he lives in Canada now, and he's uh, he's Iranian. He said, what do, what do I right. do in terms of these lyrics? In terms of the implications for me to go back and forth to Iran. How would you answer that yeah. question? I haven't been to Iran since the, the, the 88 hash uh, hash. Um, I mean, you know what we know what the, the, the shit is like in Iran, so I don't need to explain. But it's, it's a risk. Which I wouldn't say, um, and it's, it's very random also. So what, from, from what I know, some people can go back to Iran doing like more kind of private uh, things than uh, just doing a, uh, putting a lyrics on a song and they're okay and some other people are being put into prison for much minor um, kind of less important acts against the, uh, the government I guess it's, it's not a democracy let's put it this way right so it's risky if you want to if you want to consider that but you have to be prepared to, to, to this friend of yours I want to say if you want to do that, you shouldn't really think about it. You, sh- you have to be prepared for the consequences if you want to do something like that. Otherwise, forget it. It's a conscious choice, is what I said to him. You do, you know, yeah. just, just, just yeah. you can make the choice and then you'll decide. Uh, but you know, just do it consciously. But three years ago, in an interview with the Guardian, Ali, you said it's heartbreaking that I cannot perform in Iran, and you also spoke of the kind of censorship there that you said makes songs impotent. Can you explain of what course. you meant, or, and if you still feel that way? Of course. Yeah, of course, I still do feel that way pretty much. And uh, imagine 
for us, I mean, lots of artists, lots of amazing creative people are not not just artists. I mean, imagine producers. I mean, right? Lots of people, amazing scientists, even they can't go back to their country to live and to just experience living and dying and whatever, and being around your family in your own country. Not many of people around the world can say that they have this experience in life. If we Iranians are basically cursed with this problem, with this issue that we have, as you know, there's lots of people in the diaspora of Iranians, they, they, they really don't feel like feel safe to go back to Iran. Would you feel safe back to go back to Iran today, tomorrow? Would you? That's not a choice that I, I, I feel like I can make, no. So, so you can imagine what I, I mean. Yes. It's not an ideal condition right now. And uh, we have to fight it. I think we have to fight it. It's, it's ridiculous. You know, being an artist, if, if, if they tell you that your work has to be monitored before being published by, by some band of people that think they know better your art, know your art better than yourself, I mean, it's just ridiculous. I mean, having to go through, you know, permissions and all that. So I, as an artist, I, I, I'm not calling myself an artist now. I, <laughs> I kind of chose never, never to go through that route and um, never to actually bend, bend the knee to just... But, but Ali, you've also said your dream destination is Tehran, and you'd love to live and it work is. there. Of course. So how... Of so course. Is that... Re- of course. Okay, so that, but that's not really realistic, though, at this point. And also, you know, you know what, John, if you listen to my second album, my second album is about, uh, is that the art, is about a, a person in diaspora, a, a, like a migration, immigrating from your own country and living elsewhere uh, and looking back. The, guy, the picture of this, the, the um, uh, front of this album is, is me sitting on a donkey backwards. Yes. So it's, it's, it's a story of an immigrant. Who's, who's taken by his donkey, which is the immigration, and then he's, he's looking back and, at, at where he came from. Um, that, this is the situation that we have, and the, the uh, literal translation of the title of the album is that Ziyad was, Till Glory Finds Us. So this is one thing that, I, my view on that never changes, as long as the government of Iran are treating us like this, as, and, and seeing us as people who, who need to get permission <laughs> I, I would say goodbye. I would, I would say is that the answer to that. <laughs> I think one of the one of the difficult parts of it is um, right. what the what the great uh, Iranian writer, uh, God bless him, uh, uh, Doctor uh, Reza Badahani, used to call the uh, the exilic mindset that a lot of Iranians live in, um, and that is to to move across the other side of the world, but to be squatting there, thinking, well, we're just here for a little while. Eventually, we're going to move back to some place that that may never exist and maybe never did exist, you know, but um, uh, rather than integrating into, into uh, a, a new society and, and, and there is something different about the character of Iranians in the diaspora that have been outside of Iran for a long time mm-hmm. than, than those in Iran. And, and um, Merzad Borjadi, who was on this program a couple of weeks ago, you know, he said, mm-hmm. why are we so, 
committed to, to being one-dimensional people. He wasn't just talking about Iranians, but in general. He said, why can't we celebrate mm-hmm. the fact that we can pull from different cultures, and so we've got this Iranian culture, but you know, you can also immerse yourself in British culture, say. It's not necessarily about having yeah. to, to only go back to that umbilical cord that you have with Tehran, but, but to immerse yourself in being a London boy at the same time and create a, a dual mm-hmm. or a new identity there. Does that resonate for you? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I'm, I'm not a great fan of uh, nationalism, to be honest with you. I'm not, I'm not, I think humans are humans. I mean, these borders are meaningless in my eyes, but uh, I also loved where I came from. I also love my, my people, my um, fellow Iranians. Um, that's why I chose to um, continue singing Farsi because I, I, I still have that connection. I still dream about living in Tehran. And the memories I had, have from Tehran are on my, part of my best memories I kept in life. I imagine I, I only left Iran when I was 26, so I, I had my whole youth uh, right, right. spent in there. So I, I have a lot of strong relationships, uh, relationship with, uh, with Iran. But in the same time, I don't want to take the opportunity away from myself on immersing in other cultures. I love other cultures too. It's like going to a party when you see a hundred of beautiful ladies, for example, or, or for, for opposite sex, beautiful gentlemen. Uh, you know what you do, you know, there's so many things for, to learn and to, uh, um, to, uh, to uh, take in. And uh, there's so many, so much beauty in the world. That's, that's my more, more kind of generic view on things like that. You know, I know I, I can't keep you here forever, but let me just, uh, just a couple more questions. You put out <laughs> a, a, new, a new album last year called Of Love yeah. and Other Evils. Let me play a, a little piece of a song called Panahande. Sure. <laughs> نمیدونم بدون تو چه خاکی بسر کنم نمیدونم بدون تو چه خاکی بسر کنم نمیدونم بدون تو چه خاکی Little taste of Panahande from the new, uh, the latest uh, Ali Azimi album that came out last year, Of Love and Other Evils. This is, I'm told, Ali, the first concept album in the history of Persian music. Why did you decide to create a concept album uh, at a time when no, everyone's given up on concept albums? You know, I think Radiohead was the last <laughs> yeah, one. Or I guess Beyonce inspired. did one, but, you know, tell me about that. Well, one of the albums that really inspired me when I was younger uh, was the uh, album by Roger Waters called uh, Pros and Cons of the Chalking. Sure. Have you, have you heard? Yeah. So uh, I wanted to kind of create something not exactly the same as that. I mean, not, I didn't even try to kind of uh, tell the story the same way. But now, I, I, the idea of, you know, relationships, the idea of love itself as a kind of a middle-aged man who's like not, I mean, hasn't had so many ups and downs and so many uh, mistakes and so many uh, uh, defeats in the, in, the, in the path of love and relationships and, and also so many great memories and so many fantastic times in, 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 the, in the, the, the big hide as well. Uh, 
Hmm. So in 2018, after a breakup that I had, a severe breakup that I had, I decided to listen. Okay, I, 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 I write love songs. People, some people say Ali Azim is good in writing love songs, which pisses me off. Um, <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> um, I, also, I, I decided to tell the story of these phases. Right? I, I just wanted to, I decided to capture these phases in, in, in different songs and put them in a chronological uh, story. Anyway, so I put the songs next to each other and, and, and wrote two albums, basically. I, I wrote the idea down for two albums. The first album was of Love and Other Evils, Evils uh, you know, as Ishko Shaiti Diya, which was telling the story uh, halfway. And then the next album is supposed to come and basically take, it, take the cycle, finish the whole cycle, basically, and, take, and, and, and go back to the point, point zero. You know, for this album of Love and Other Evils, you you work with 19 musicians, 10 of whom were from mm-hmm. Iran. And you've said many times that you see yourself as a as a curator who handpicks each musician for every single track. This is not necessarily the way a lot of people operate. Even solo, you know, Bruce, Bruce Springsteen had his E Street band. You know, they play, you know, that's my drummer, mm-hmm. that's my bassist, these are the guys I work with. Mm-hmm. What's the advantage of working mm-hmm. with different musicians for different tracks? I don't know if you know, but I used to work with the same band for five years called The Need, yes, all British. Yes. And after a while, I thought, this is so British for me. This is not what I want, right? Mm. I want to experience, I, I love it. I, we, have, we have created so many amazing songs together. We had, we toured the world together. We had amazing time together with these guys. And I love every single one of them. But I, I decided to, towards the end of this kind of journey that I want to, kind of go back to Iranians and uh, be able to communicate better on stage and also in production of the songs. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, use, use, being able to use, I mean, different people with different songs, it gives me the, the benefit of um, being more specific about the feeling that I want to achieve in the songs. I mean, I know it's not the ideal way of um, being a band, an ideal way of creating music, because obviously we need to be in, a, in the same room to perfect it. And play it over and over and over, as you know, John, because you, you, you've had the um, uh, experience of being yep. in a band yourself, right? Yep. And you've been pretty successful, I hear. Well, uh, in the 90s. <laughs> yeah. In, <laughs> back, you know that song I'm back old. in the 90s? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Um, but, you know, you, being, I mean, being away from Iran, obviously, and, and really wanting to work with amazing musicians inside Iran, has driven me to do this and this, to take this path. And I've been very successful with it, and I'm planning to, to uh, continue doing that. Ali, man, I could, uh, you know, I, I could speak to you for a long time. It is such a pleasure for me, and, and, um, and I appreciate how, how candid you are, how real you are, and the, and the art that you create. I want to end off... Um, we're going to go out on this song uh, at the end of the show, but uh, this sublime new song you've just released with Kol Shifter uh, called Marzipur Gohar, um, which also features another gorgeous video, you and the videos. But but to me, yeah. uh, it's, it's riveting lyrically, and I want to read a, a couple of the, uh, one, one of the stanzas from this song um, because it's mm-hmm. it's quite powerful. Even though the song is, it's not like a punk rock, harsh kind of sounding musically song, but but what you're saying, let me just read these lyrics. Oh, you treasure-filled land, 
geographical determinism, the hell with this lot. What cruel hand wrote this fault in our stars? We've seen enough of war. We've suffered enough. We'll take no bullshit anymore. So you're not pulling any punches there. Tell me about the stark sentiments behind those lyrics from this new song. Um, I wrote this song right after the, the uh, you know, the shot, the airplane down. And it, the, the pain of, and, you know, the, the disappointment and the, the sadness was so immense that I just couldn't think. It just it came out of me somehow. Ghost Shifter came to my concert in, in New York back in October. Um, so I mean, we started chatting in, uh, on, on WhatsApp, and she said to me, I, I really liked the, one, of the, one of the songs that you played in the concert. And, I, and, I, and you, it was during the time that I was writing this song. And I said to her, listen, I have this new song. And I was thinking about using a, 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 a female voice on, on this song to just give it a sense of you know, a man and a, and a woman singing something about the country, about, about Iran. And I said to her, listen, do you want me to send a sample to you? And I sent, sent a video that I recorded for myself. And she said, wow, I... You know, let's do it. I, I love it, and, and uh, she was uh, very uh, energi- energized to, to kind of um, take it forward. So we planned to. Uh, I sent a song to her. She she listened to it. She she kind of sang on it. We created the harmony, and um, that was the story of that song. And uh, it was directed by my good friend, a very talented artist, uh, Rahi Rezwani in Amsterdam. So me and Goldschmidt went to Amsterdam to the studios. We created these rooms and. Uh, uh, we did the video there. You know, it's ironic. I know that when you made this video, it probably was pre-COVID, but um, but because it, to just to describe the video, which people should you know after they finish listening to this, go to YouTube and 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 check out for themselves. But you and Goldschifter sure. are separated by a wall and and sort of uh, on two sides of of this divide, uh, which is strangely appropriate uh, for social distancing and isolation days. It's, it's almost a video tribute to quarantine, which uh, was right. probably unwitting. Right. It but, wasn't intended. Uh, but so beautiful and very powerful, as I say. Ali, uh, I am so grateful for the, the amount of time that you've spent on uh, doing this with us. And um, uh, I know Shia, who uh, is part of our team here, was was stoked to have you on as well. He talks so highly about you as a musician, uh, uh, as does everybody. I thank you so much for the time you've taken. I thank you so much for the art that you're creating. And um, we can't wait for this pandemic to be over so we can do this in, in person next time. I hope so. I hope so. And thank you. Thanks, Shia, for his kind words. And I thank you, Jean, for his uh, amazing uh, interview. I have, uh, you, your your uh, uh, the questions were... I mean, one problem I always have is the interviews that uh, I, I, we get offered as musicians are not really in depth. They're not really done. People usually don't pay attention to the research before interviewing. And I really uh, congratulate, congratulate you on this because you've done a thorough email and congratulate you and your team basically for this. You're very good. Great job. Thank you. Thank you, brother. You take care of yourself. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. That is Ali Azimi, the songwriter, the lyricist, the performer, the singer, uh, and we're going to go on on that song with Gold Shifter. This is full time for this episode of Rook. Thank you so much for listening to this show and supporting. Do subscribe. See you Thursday. Mizun Bashin.
زعماغ جان و وای از احوال دل آه از این آینه که شده پر از زنگار و گل وای از سرزمینم که میشه ببینم که خوشی دست تو بگیرم دیگه وقتشه که پاشیم از بیخ بریدن رست تو کشیدن ای جان این جایگاه تو نیست دستا تو بستن قلب تو شکستن این وست زاوار تو شکار راه تو نیست 